Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? My learning is on. It's Ivan Lakers Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. You went skiing. I went skiing. Back to Aspen. Such a good time. I'm really, I'm, I, it might be a little bit of a midlife crisis. Call it what it is. You feel like you're at midlife yet? Mm-hmm. 38, soon to be 39. Hmm. Midlife crisis and you... You're taking up skiing. Why? Because it's like a new hobby. I just say that. Like, it's something new. Right. It's something challenging. People tell me it's harder to learn it as an adult. But for me, it's just like, I don't know. It's like leave everything on the mountain. I just, I feel like I'm flying when I'm skiing. And it's been fun to learn something new and to challenge myself. And there's like a whole culture around skiing. And I'm tapped in. I don't think that qualifies as a midlife crisis. No, I mean. you come back with like a BBL. Then that would why does it in me midlife crisis? Like for, you see, for, example, the, for example, so you have to change your appearance. For example, so is my I'm, hair? I'm getting a, a hair crisis? transplant on April 15th. Wait, this is really happening. I'm getting a hair transplant April 15th. So I couldn't. I was going to do it actually <laughs> March 8th. It was gonna be I still next don't believe week, you. But I had to change it because a lot of things are going on in March. March is a big month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, got a lot of stuff happening. Good. And then WrestleMania, I don't want to be all fucked up for WrestleMania with my hair and stuff. So I'm getting a hair transplant. So you won't and be celebrating your birthday? I'll be celebrating my birthday with the hair With the hair wrap on? With the hair wrap on, but I'll be celebrating it. Yeah, like I'll be, that's my birthday present to myself. I'm bringing a line back. How long does it take to recover? Oh, wow. I mean, well, not to recover, but it takes. That's what I meant. You know what I mean. For the hair to come in? Yeah, because it's like, it starts looking like real beady, right? Yeah, like, I'm already getting people ready for it by wearing, you notice I've been wearing this all the time? I feel like that would irritate it. No. You haven't talked to the people is the difference. I'm just imagining. So you haven't spoken to them. You haven't talked to Isabella over at Zering Medical. Maybe they'll give me something else. I was going to say, they better be giving you something. Yeah. Uh, you haven't on. talked to them. So they'll tell, they tell me when I can wear a hat, where I can wear a loose fitting hat. When I can do this, when I can do that. Now, I'm not going to be ready to party for my birthday, but that's okay. I'll, I'll play the video Are game. Are you going to party for ours? I'll be ready Kalika for Kalika and I are throwing birthday. a joint birthday this birthday year. birthday party. I'll be there around with a loose-fitting hat on, you know, and then you'll see some growth. But, like, when can you rock it? Like, when can it grow and then, like, you can cut it? Are you going to grow all your hair out? Nah. I'm just, I got to have the – because, look, what's been happening is, you know, I've been seeing the – I, it, make, it makes me look a lot older. And so I'm I don't think it. so. I would tell you. I really don't think it, you look older at all. But I'm glad you are doing this for you. Yeah. I can't wait to see the new hairline. I feel kinship with women that have BBLs. Well, why can't it just be like women that maybe lose their edges? Well, I mean, I'm not talking about them because I feel like this is the BBL for men that I'm having. The hair transplant. I'm taking hair from here and putting it in. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do. A women, a lot of women get the hair transplants as well Mm -hmm. for the edges. So they have like a. So sometimes you can see celebrities that have this extra perfect hairline. Sometimes it's filled in with makeup, but sometimes it's a hair transplant. Like who? 
I don't know. Give me an example. Well, I don't know because I don't want to accuse somebody of having a hair transplant. You, when you said that, you had somebody. I did. Like, <laughs> I don't want to accuse anybody of having a tra- hair transplant because I'm not confident. So I'm not going to do that. I know some of the celebrities that have had them. And sure. We, oh, we boy, about showing them. you pictures. Yeah. At Zero Medical, they showed you the pictures of the celebrities that have had the hair transplant. <laughs> they specialize in African-American hair. Which is great. Black hair. Black. Is it a person of color? Of color? Who owns this place? No. Oh. Because I feel like that's important. Boy, I would be so excited to get a hair transplant at an all-black medical facility. That seems like it would be much more culturally soothing for me. Or just like another culture that's brown. That's what I was thinking, too. No. You're you're fucking about to get a case file opened on you. Why? Because it can't be another culture that's brown. I'm talking about black people. Right? I'm not talking about letting the goddamn. I'm not talking about other brown cultures. I'm talking about black, okay, black people. Okay, that's what okay. I'm talking about black hair. You want a case file? No, these case files. These case I, files. I'm letting you guys know right now. I, I'm not. I am not biracial. You can't open up a case file on me. I could. And don't start. Don't I could. fucking start. <laughs> I, could. <laughs> I could. Mom, look. What you do this weekend? What did I Other do? than research your, oh, your oh, oh, hairline BBL. Oh! So this weekend, Saturday wasn't much. I, I, I played basketball. I you know, did a bunch of different things as far as that's concerned. Well, Saturday I was in I was in Atlanta. I came back from Atlanta. Oh, that's right. You were. How'd that go? Yeah, Atlanta was great. Shout out to RideCon, Munson Steed of Rolling Out Magazine. We talked about AI and its impact and influence on black creatives and you know how it goes. Mr. Steed is a very accomplished man. I was at Morehouse. Okay. College up there in Atlanta, AUC. Um, Sunday, yesterday, me, the Ringerverse crew, along with the Ringer movie bigwigs, Chris Ryan, Amanda Dobbins, and Sean Finnessy, we saw Dune 2. Oh, you saw And let me tell you, woo! Dune is a doozy. Oh, my God. Better than the first. Yeah, better than the first. The first one was great. Well, the first one is a different type of movie, actually. This one is a lot more a lot more stuff happening in this one. The first Dune, I don't want to discount it. It is kind of but a thing. But the first Dune is setting, it up, setting you up for this one. I will say this. A lot of people, you haven't seen. I uh, have seen the first one. Have you seen Star Wars? Uh, you haven't seen it. So a lot of people are making the comparisons between Star Wars a New Hope, and Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. And I think those comparisons are actually fair with the tonal differences in these two movies. But I can tell you one thing right now. There is a part in Dune 2 that is going to get the people going. It's going to get the people going. There's something that I was so unexpected. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Dune 2 is a masterpiece. That's all I'm going to say. If you want more, you're going to have to tune in to the Midnight Boys a podcast this Friday for our, our recap of Dune 2. We're doing two things. We're doing recap of Dune 2, uh-huh. and we're also doing a Dune rewatch of Dune 1, and then the 1980s Dune with Kyle McLaughlin, directed by David Lynch. Oh, well, so this isn't an original. I didn't know there was another Dune in the 80s. Yeah, Dune was written in like the 60s. And so then they did a version of Dune. There have been a couple of, then there was there was the Children of Dune that came out on the Sci-Fi Network. Dune is very famous high fantasy stuff. 
So they did a couple of, I mean, this is the 1980, I think it's 85, 84, 85. I can't remember. That adaption and then uh, this adaption are probably the two most heralded movie adaptions of mm. Dune. So will there be a Dune 3? Dune Messiah. Yes, it's called Dune Messiah. So could this fit the trilogy? Answer. If Dune Messiah is better than Dune 2, then yes. All right. I will say so. I would say that. I would say that. Because Dune Messiah doesn't come out till uh, 2027. 2027. Is it like, I can't handle that. <laughs> don't tell me 2027. Just don't tell me. Tell me when we get closer. That's way too long. Just tell me. Dune. Yeah, so I saw it last night. and um, We had a great time. We had a great time. Good. I'm glad. I can't, I'm excited to see it, too. Where are you going to go see it? I don't know. When it comes out on streaming? It's 240, baby. 240 what? Two hours and 40 minutes. Oh, I'm definitely not going to the theater. Why? I don't I don't have the patience to sit that long through movies. I just don't. It's disgusting. I don't. I mean, I... Two hours-ish work. You know, you know what you do? This is what you do. Get three pork chops and eat one pork chop an hour. This is what you do, since you like a big hunk of pig. I saw somebody in Atlanta. I walked in this place. I barely mm. left the hotel in Atlanta. I got to say something real quick. Shout out to the people at the Four Seasons uh, in Atlanta Midtown. I think it's the best hotel in the world. Oh, that's where you were saying? It's the most comfortable. It's like, I, man, look, I almost lost the Vision Pro. They found it. They got it back to me. The whole nine, like I come in last night, Kalika's using the fucking Vision Pro to prop stuff up on. <laughs> that's what I would do. She's like got stuff on top of the Vision Pro. I'm like, yo, man, that's you know four thousand dollars. Just use it as a step stool or whatever was going on. It's crazy. Um, all right, look. I had to restart my computer. It's not working. Rachel, are you are you locked in? Yes, I'm locked in. Are, are you I'm locked right in? here? Are you? It, it and, and I'm trying Johnny, to lock. Does it sound my, like Rachel is locked in? I'm trying to lock my computer in now. Okay. The I'm lock locked in is in progress. It's happening. She's locking She's in. She's getting locked in. I am yeah, locked exactly. in. I'm over here talking to you about Dune, pretending to be interested. Oh, uh, yeah, that's messed up. I want to say something. I want to say something real quick before we get into the video of the day. So while I was in Atlanta. I didn't just do uh, RideCon. I did podcasts. I did Eating While Broke, which is a podcast. It's cool. We talked about grilled cheese, something I used to make grilled cheese when I was broke. I did Poor Minds uh, with Lex and Drea. And I did Broken Play, which is a sports uh, podcast with Nav. Look, all over at 85 South. Oh, okay. I would like to say right now, man. I am so excited for what 85 South Studios is doing. For the talent they have in-house, for the infrastructure they have over there. I walked around there. They have their space, their three different shows. They have dynamic talent behind the camera and in front of the camera. Look, with what they've built, and everybody knows the 85 South show. Everybody knows Chico and Carlos and... um, Mm -hmm. And, and DC Young Fly and everyone, everybody knows these guys. They're doing great things. But from the top to the bottom, what they got going on down there is unbelievable. Really impressed. Really impressed with the level of organization, the attention to detail. Uh, it's They legit got their shit popping. And it's cultural as shit. It's 
us doing it to a high level. Fucking took care of me. Took care of me. Whole thing. Great. Great I didn't stuff. realize that um, they had branched out and created their own, you know, production network over there. Are you locked in with them? I know who. I know that 85 South. No, you do. But um, that's great. I love that. I didn't know they were doing all that. Big deal of the day. Is it a big deal? No. It's not. <laughs> it's got, I guess it's the, the most talked about thing of the day. It's not that big of a deal at all. Which is interesting. Okay. Maybe I'm not locked in. No, no, Which is interesting to me because we don't know much, yet yeah. everybody's talking about it. Go ahead. Cam Newton tussling down in Atlanta. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. All right. So. A uh, former NFL quarterback, Cam Newton, and not just former NFL quarterback. I mean, all-time great athlete, Cam Newton, Heisman Trophy winner, Auburn National Championship. Ran away from Patrick Peterson. Go back and look at the play of Cam Newton against LSU. Nobody that big should be able to move that fast. He breaks contained. He's out on a scramble, and he's running, and he's got Patrick Peterson behind him. Notoriously fast black American Patrick Peterson is chasing Cam Newton, and Cam Newton just runs away from him. Everybody on the we're like looking at the game. We're like, what the fuck is going on? Who the fuck is this guy? He's unbeatable. Um, so then he goes to the NFL, obviously has a great NFL career. Um, he's still relatively young, could still be playing, but injuries have caught up to him, and uh, you know, the game changed a little bit. Uh actually the game changed to embrace the way that he plays. Yeah, I didn't realize he had played that many years. I mean. I didn't realize it was nine years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came in yeah, the league, yeah. what, 20, I just felt like 11, it just seemed 20, like his career 20, ended so abruptly. Yeah. And I think that's why. It's one of those, right? One of those to where you go from starting the Super Bowl, NFL MVP, uh, rushing touchdowns, all of those things, uh, and then a couple of injury play gears. Yeah. And then it just kind of starts to, 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 to peter out a little bit. But he is uh, the sponsor, I guess, or he has a 7-on-7 seven seven team. If you guys don't know what 7-on-7 seven seven is, it's a skeleton game, skill position players against skill position players. So it's flat football, but it's very important, right? Um, it's very important because 
this oftentimes puts the best skill position players against one another. Down in Louisiana, there's a seven-on-seven team called the Louisiana Bootleggers. And you can look and at that team and then get a lot of the talent that's going to be recruited highly by different college football teams or LSU might be looking at by what happens with the bootleggers. And what's the age range for well, these seven-on-seven? Seven? I mean, I, I'm sure they have them all the way into adults. You know, people play flag football. But this seven, these seven-on-seven seven teams, we're talking about like high school age kids. Okay. I mean, they have them at all ages, right? You have it a little bit younger, but the ones that get hyper-competitive with really good QBs and really good receivers and really good corners and all of that stuff, 707, mm-hmm. sometimes they're wearing the soft helmets or whatever, uh, that is like high school age guys. Um, so this is an event that was organized by We Ball Sports. This is a youth under 15 and under 18 Oh, okay. <laughs> in Georgia and Alabama. Uh, Cam Newton is the founder of C1N, one of the programs that participated. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they got into it with the homies over at Top Shelf Performance. Top Shelf Performance. Okay. TSP is what they're being called now. Everybody was saying they got into it with TSP. They got into it with TSP. I'm like, yo, is TSP. The newest record label. I'm like, who the fuck is TSP? I was like, why did TSP roll up there like that? That's literally. Yeah, I'm like, what? I'm like, yo, TSP tripping. I said the same. And then I'm like, yo, man, wait, who the fuck is TSP? Everybody just kept saying, I I wonder if TSP is like really known. They gotta be. Maybe at least in this area in Georgia. Because everybody like, man, Cam, you see Cam Newton fight with TSP, TSP, TSP. I'm like, yeah, man, TSP tripping. Wait, who the fuck? Who the fuck is TSP? Say, say, um, say. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll play the video and you'll see Cam Newton getting into it with these people and tossing them around like they're basically beanie babies. <laughs> Go ahead and run that, Donnie. Now, apparently the two people that were fighting here with Cam Newton were coaches for Top Shelf Performance, and they used to coach with Cam Newton. So there might be some backstory here. Uh, Police and security guards broke up the altercation. Everyone was removed from the event. Mm -hmm. I think there are a couple of reasons why people are talking about this so much. Number one, Cam Newton is a gigantic person. (laughs) Right. Uh, Six foot five, 250 some odd pounds, and can handle himself like very a very low percentage of the population can. So watching them try to steal on him and then him kind of toss them around was very funny. Mm-hmm. And number two, there are people who wonder, is this indicative of a lack of respect or decorum that we have for one another while we're just in an event, especially for kids? 
should cooler heads have prevailed in terms of the older men that are setting a should be setting an example for the younger boys there? And then number two, for them to roll up on cam like that, does it show that they don't respect a quarterback who's right there in proximity to the people in the community trying to give back and trying to support kids playing football? So it's it's I mean the first number one we can answer that question or talk about that because we can see that from the video. Like, yes, why would you try to roll up on Cam? Well, if you're familiar, this is a seven-on-seven game, so I'm assuming most of the people there are familiar with his football career and you saw him run all over people for years. So I don't even know why that was necessary to do. Number two and three are hard to answer because despite this being all over the Internet and the video everywhere and every media outlet seems to have reported on it, we don't know anything other than the two video angles that we've seen, we know who was involved. We don't know the why or not that that would justify it at all. But we really don't know anything. I would say when I watched this video, it was troubling because it was a youth event. So it's like, I don't even know if this happened before, after, middle. It doesn't matter. Here you are trying to support youth who are, you know, working on teamwork and leadership and so many positive attributes that come with playing a sport and to possibly go on and have better opportunities for themselves, you know, on the collegiate and the professional level. And here we are fighting, tossing each other around like that bothers me. And when I say we, I am not saying it in the Shannon Sharp way. We'll play Which we'll get into that. I just want to be clear. That's not what I mean. I looked at it in general, that this is very unfortunate, that this is supposed to be a positive, uplifting event. And here are grown men fighting one another. It shouldn't happen. I, I don't care what the reason was. It shouldn't happen. And it doesn't look like, from what we can see from the video, that Cam was the instigator. It looks like, as people were saying, TSP rolled up on him. And to me, <laughs> to me it does. It's kind of catchy, right? It's kind of, it's kind of catchy. Top shelf, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But there should be no reason that this should have happened in this way. Because what we should also talk about is somebody else could have gotten hurt in that. A child could have been hurt. There were families around. The way he was swinging people and throwing them to the side, they had no, it was reckless. They had no regard for anything, anybody that was around them. So somebody else could have been injured in this situation. Yeah, I feel like Cam showed restraint. Because he was he tussling. He was defending himself. But he didn't really throw any punches. I feel like if he no, was throwing he was some punches, maybe he could have hurt someone, but he, he really didn't. So Shannon Sharp had something to say about it on the Nightcap podcast. Uh, well, I tell you, Shannon Sharp is cooking. Shannon Sharp has Club Shay Shay. Shannon Sharp has the Nightcap. Shannon Sharp is on first take. Like, Shannon Sharp is just... It, very few people have had a moment like he's having right now being relevant in this these different layers of media. He has a nightcap show to his other show, the nightly show. Then he has Club Shay Shay, and then it's, it's crazy. Um, but I completely disagree with what he just said uh, about Absolutely. this. Absolutely. So uh, play what Shannon Sharp had to say. I show, you know what? I tell you what you've never seen. Peyton and Eli have been having a camp for 20-something years. You yeah. ain't never seen no kids be disrespectful to Peyton and Eli. Yeah. Tell, me the, tell me the footage. Tell me the footage that you've seen out there. Show it to me. Well, Peyton or Eli asked these kids, or the Drew Brees, because a lot of times they take up a, a, a lot of these pro quarterbacks and sometimes upper-level college quarterbacks. Show me the footage. It's us because we think it's cute. I show, hey, man, I went out there. Man, I told Cal to shut up. I told him he was trash. I told him he was garbage. Y'all think that's cute. It's yeah. not. It's not. And you wonder why. I don't. I've been stopped wondering. Right. 
Well, I still wonder why. What What are you trying to say? Well, he said it. He's not trying to say anything. He said it. So let me, let me tell you guys something real quick. Uh, number one, um, well, I know the fight shouldn't happen at youth sports events. Right. But let's be honest. They happen all the time. Right. They happen when it's all black people. They happen when it's all white people. They happen when it's all Latinos. They happen all the time. They happen all the time. Of course. Okay. It shouldn't have happened. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad anytime parents or older people make themselves the center of attention in negative and destructive ways around children because mm-hmm. children learn with the way you react and the way that you act uh, in public. They are not going to say, hey, don't fight like me. If they see daddy fighting, mama fighting, they're going to fight. Whatever method of conflict resolution that you display, they are going to learn by osmosis as far as that's concerned. Most of the time, most of the time, learn what you say. But if they see you fight, they're going to say this is what we're supposed to do. So, so we don't want to teach or promote that type of conflict resolution um, to any group of children. But does every single incident that happens have to be a referendum on us culturally? Every single time, it has to be a referendum on us culturally. Like, you know, you don't ever see Peyton Manning and the rest of the people doing this. There's just too many caveats to that idea that I can think of right off the top of my head that don't make those situations to me um, as analogous as what as, as what Shannon is saying. Well, what was so disrespectful, I thought he made it seem like there aren't all these other football players out there with camps, right? They might not be like the seven-on-seven situation, but a lot of football athletes, particularly black ones, football athletes, football players, particularly black ones, have camps that they throw in the summer for youth. And you don't hear about all these scuffles and fights because it's not happening. So the fact that he singled out, and, and it's not even just that he singled out, he elevated them. He put them on a pedestal. He put black athletes down here. Mind you, he's a former one. And he elevated Peyton, Eli, and Drew Brees. Now, he didn't just separate. He put them up here. And it's interesting that Shannon Sharp, because Shannon Sharp gets a lot of criticism, um, and which most people would when you have such a big platform and on so many levels. But particularly, he gets criticism about the way, at times, he speaks about or to the black community. This doesn't help his case. I think this is so obvious, and I was shocked that Ocho Cinco didn't say anything, because I think this was so obvious that this is such a bad take, and really othering them from us. When so many football players do positive things in the community, and this a scuffle of fight is not attached to it. Well, I don't think that he was necessarily criticizing Cam Newton. He was saying that Cam Newton wouldn't have been treated that way because he's talking about he's, not just this incident, I'm but he's not talking about another incident where the kids are talking back to Cam. I think he's talking more about the culture of the children. I'm not saying Cam Newton. I'm, well, he was grown-ups fighting. Yeah, but I think, so there's another video and there's another video and the other video is of, it's, a different time at the camp where the kids on the sideline are talking shit to Cam Newton and he's talking back to them. But I'm also not singling out Cam Newton. I'm I'm saying Shannon Sharp isn't singling out Cam either. I don't think. Mm-hmm. He's talking about black community, black community which yeah. is why he said 
He showed they don't do this, but we do. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So when you say that, you make them better. I would love to hear him respond to the criticism of this. He probably won't. Well, no. I, I mean, I think this is bad. I think particularly what we have to do is stop using white culture. Exactly. Or using white people. White is right. It's it, like we have to stop standard setting with white people. Yes. We have to stop saying, oh, look how they do it, and then look how we do. Yeah. Oh, look how they do it, and then look how we do. Do that a lot. Oh, yeah, of course. It's residual effects of us chasing what we think is the American dream, and the American dream can't really be whiteness. It has to be our cultural values and our cultural power like in this country, right? Yeah. So we have to have our own thing in here. Can't be to act more like because that's the whole way that they've planned it out. Yeah. So you know, love Shannon, love him to death. I I, I just don't. I, I I personally don't think that this particular event or this particular back and forth or even the one from before deserved a cultural deep dive to where we deified the Peyton Manning and 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 Eli Mannings of the world and not even them so much as the kids who participate in those camps. Because I tell you what, if you're talking about the Elite 11 or the Manning Passing Academy or any, there are plenty, plenty, plenty of black athletes that are at those things. Plenty of them. Plenty of black athletes that are at those things, right? Um, and, you know, is what it is. That's what I'm saying is what it is. Uh, I, I I think that uh, that Cam Newton might have a different relationship with the kids. It might be more jovial. It might be more back and forth. There might be a little bit more room for that type of thing because he sees himself as one of them. And, you know, I, I just don't think that there's that that big of a deal there. I think a lot of this was all once again, just some Internet mess. I don't know that everything has to be a lesson. Who knows? OK, cool. Um, Drake. Drake. You love him. You love Drake. I just... You love him. I'm waiting for Drake to do something where I'm like... It seems like every time we talk about Drake, it's a negative for me. It's a no for me. You guys, Drake is desperately trying to turn heel. Right? desperately you guys won't let drake become the bad guy drake is desperately trying to turn into the bad guy he was the nice guy for a very long time the nice polite canadian guy for a very long time he never got any love for it the clock ran out on it drake he did get love been, for it. look he got love people for accepted it. it that's what they liked about him too he got love for it from a certain perspective, but a lot of people also been making fun of him for a very long time and talking about he's soft. Drake has been acting this way, trying to be the bad guy for a long time. And they just won't let him be the bad guy. So it's not that they won't let him won't. keyword what you just said. He's trying. You either are, or you aren't, you either got it or you don't. This 
ain't you. And this is why it comes off as super corny because you're trying to be something that you're not. It was, we loved the way, the way Drake came on the scene. That's how he was, you know, advertised to us. It was different. It was fun. It was interesting because he wasn't trying to be something that he's not. Now he is. To me, people talk about him more or as he's tried to make this shift than they talked about him before. He's never going to achieve it. And it ain't because we ain't holding him back. It's because it's not in him. Hmm. So here's what I'm saying. For people that don't know, Drake has showed his support for Tory Lanez in Instagram posts early Monday morning. He posted a black and white photo of Tory Lanez on his Instagram story. And he captioned it through you, which is slang for free you. With the three apparently symbolizing open handcuffs. Not the first time that Drake has uh, been down with Tory Lanez, I guess. Or shown his support with Tory Lanez. Um... He faced backlash for liking a statement that Tory Lanez posted on Instagram in which the convicted rapper maintained his innocence. Also, this, of course, this the song Circle Loco in November 22, where he said, this bitch lie about getting shots, but she's still a stallion. Tory Lanez is, of course, serving a 10-year prison sentence for the shooting of Meg the Stallion back in 2020. Trial is done. He's in jail. Um... And Drake is clearly at this point, clearly at this point, I think there's no more ambiguity about it, clearly at this point saying that he doesn't believe that Tory Lane shot Meg the Stallion and that he wants to see Tory Lane's freed. Now, a lot of people would say that Drake has an intensely loyal female fan base, woman, lady fan base, and that this might be counterintuitive to him to post something like this because it would offend his lady fan base, okay? I don't think that's a concern for him because I don't think the ladies that love Drake will ever turn on Drake. Which is sad. I don't think that they'll ever turn on Drake. And I think it's interesting to talk about how patriarchy is uh, instilled into women as well because I don't think they'll ever turn on them. Obviously, I think that Tory Lanez is guilty of this. And so the reason... So I so I would wonder what the reason is for doing this other than to stoke the flames or if you have some reason to believe he, that he didn't do it. So, I mean. Well, he's an attention whore. So I do think it's stoking the flames, but I also think because of what's happening right now and as it's starting to circulate around social media and on blogs, everybody's talking about him. He's great about staying in the media, not for his music, just for certain things that he does, whether it's good or bad. Maybe he's of the school of no publicity. There's no such thing as bad publicity. But I, when I think about what Drake is doing, it's not even just that he said free Tory. It's like exactly what you pointed to. As you support Tory Lanez, it's to me a complete disrespect to women. I believe he's guilty. If you believe that he didn't do it, I think you're also you're saying that he you don't believe Megan. And then you make these songs about her. To me, you have no regard for Megan and particularly women in general, because this isn't a one off. Right. There have been lyrics that he's done that are disrespectful to Rihanna. There have been lyrics that he's done to other people that I can't. I can't really recall at the moment. And you could make the argument that, okay, we separate the artist from the music, right? What Drake is doing on social media has nothing to do with what he does as a musician, and we like that. But his lyrics are also 
very disrespectful at times to women. And so you're right. The people who love Drake are going to love Drake. Just like people who love Tory Lanez are going to love Tory Lanez and choose to believe him no matter what. But I think it's worth noting that maybe we should, we should turn, maybe. What's the term you use? The hill? Hill turn. We should do a hill turn. Do you know what a hill Drake. turn is? A hill turn. What is it? Yeah, you turn away. No. <laughs> you turn from. A heel is a bad guy in wrestling. Oh. So when you do a heel turn, you turn into a heel. So you turn into something heel, bad. H-E-E-L. Okay, well then that does not work for what I was trying to say. Right. You guys women. don't want to be heels. What I'm saying is that, look, there, a is, heel turn. there is this underlying thing here, right? And the underlying thing here is the belief that the nicer you are to women, the more you can disrespect them too. A reversal of position or direction. I'm not that far off. Heel. Yeah, I'm looking at heel turn. H-E-E-L. Yeah, I can spell. I'm just making sure. I spelled it heel turn and see. it says, yeah, I did. First try. I know how to spell. Yeah. It says a reversal of position or direction. Also, a change. It could be a change in character. Okay. Affiliation. I just want to say. Okay. <laughs> Thank right. you. Heel. Heel turn. Anyway. Uh, but reversal of position or direction is essentially what I'm talking about. It's whatever. There's this. There's also this other thing, right, that's interesting. It's this, this belief that, like, how can I put it? And Drake and kind of the stuff that he's doing right now is almost like this in action. It's like the nicer you are to women, the more you, stuff you can get away with, right? It's like, it, it's kind of like, give you this bag, give you this money, give you this, this, you're pretty, I need you, I do. I can do all this, I can do all that. And then once you have instilled that belief, once you've said enough things, once you've said enough things, then you can do whatever you want. Once you've given enough gifts, once you've heaped enough praise, once you've even been, oh, he loves us, he's this, he's this, you build up so much equity that then you can do whatever you want. A lot of guys, a lot of guys, a lot of guys that I know, going back in the past, we've talked about it, they believed in that. Just make sure you do this, make sure you do that, make sure you do that, then you can have a weekend off, then you can have a couple weeks off of just being shitty, or being whatever, and then you like you can do whatever because once you make a woman sometimes feel Safe. an intense safety or an intense euphoric emotional reaction, you can get away with some other stuff. And Drake has Drake has invested a lot into women. Fucking Marvin's Room, fucking all of these other songs that he that he's made like worshiping women and being vulnerable and being all of this, that it would take a long time, in my opinion, for a lot of people to be like, yo, that nigga ain't shit. And he can't even make them believe that he's not shit. Oh, I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. And and maybe it's attributing, you know, or maybe it's just because of what you said, or maybe just because some people just don't care. They like the music. They like the beat. They like the way he looks. That's all they care about. It's not that deep to a lot of people. It's not that deep. Yeah. Yeah, not that deep. But I will say this, uh, that a lot of things that someone would do wouldn't be that deep. 
Um, even the lyric about uh, Megan, you can make an argument not that deep, rapper using wordplay. This right here is showing support for a person, for a man who is convicted of assaulting a woman with a firearm. That's pretty substantial. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to be the moral arbiter of whatever, but that it's pretty substantial. That's like a huge deal for an artist of that ilk. To, you know, you have other people, you have LeBron playing the music, but there might be some people out there that go, hey, I still listen to Tory Lane, separate the art from the artist. People do that all the time. Like, more difficult to like pin down right there, right? You could be mad about it if you want, but there's philosophy there. Saying free him, like obviously you think differently about somebody if they said free R. Kelly. Like, <laughs> right. Bill, like if you right. say free him, you're taking a very direct stance on it. Yeah. Um, Could be reacting to him being dissed in his song or whatever, but I think it goes a little bit further than that. But we'll see what people do, which is nothing. Nothing. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. Donald Trump has something to say. Donnie, play it. And then I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me, because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. It's, it's been pretty amazing. The black people are so much on my side now because they see what's happening to me happens to them. Does that make sense? I've heard that. When I did the mugshot in Atlanta, you know that mugshot is number one. Elvis Presley is Elvis Presley's number two, and Frank Sinatra is they, they had Frank Sinatra for fighting, and they had Elvis for, I don't know, something in a gas station. He tried to hold up a gas station. I don't know. Something. Elvis. So Elvis is number two, but he was always number one. My 
my, the mugshot. We've all seen the mugshot. And you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. It's incredible. You see black people walking around with my mugshot. You know, they do shirts and they sell them for $19 a piece. So that's Trump talking to the Black Conservative Federation about why black people like him. So the audience of black people laughing mm-hmm. and clapping. Yeah. Yeah. You find a problem with that, Rachel? No, not at all. Trump is hilarious. You love him. Vagina. Vagina. <laughs> so you do like that. Him. You do, like him. Do his black people. You, you, you like him. You like him. So, do I spent the way my whole life working with black Americans to build business. Black people like me, Trump. And the way he talks about black people is as if they're not a human species. Mm-hmm. Like the way he says black, black people. It's as if he's, it's like he's fascinated and disgusted by black people at the same time. It's like we're all like monkeys in a lab or an experiment that he loves to just watch and laugh at and see the funny things that they do. That's how he speaks. He doesn't, it's like he doesn't connect us, which is obvious by his history, his racist history and the things that he says now. He doesn't connect us as all one human you know, human beings. Yeah. It's like the black people and then us over here. I mean, listen, are we surprised that Trump said any of this? No. This is more of a message to the people who continue to support Trump, to say that Trump is all right with them, to say that, frankly, to not outright say you're voting against Trump. I, I, this is to who that is, because in this statement, Trump called you black people, criminals, uh, peddlers. Um, he mocks you. Uh, like I just I don't like I I don't even the list goes on and on and on. So yeah, I mean it's this is going to be the first of many that we're going to get the rest of 2024, and I just think it just makes me question the people who want to support Trump. I ask you why he's always telling you what he thinks of you. He's always laughing at you, yet for some reason. Because Biden's old or because he says certain things, but he hasn't necessarily acted on it. You think that is worse than all the things that Trump represents and that he stands for and against when it comes to black people. Hmm. I just don't understand. So there was uh, a guy on Fox News who was talking about Trump's shoes. And he was talking about the fact that it was it resonated with black black Americans because we're so into sneakers. Yeah. So we're so into sneakers that Trump puts out a shoe and we go, oh, my God, Trump's one of us. Yeah. And then, you know, Trump has a mugshot. Oh, my God, Trump's one of us. Trump's being treated unfairly. Oh, my God, Trump's one of us. So two things I think about this. Obviously, this is very belittling to black Americans. In the grand scheme of things, it's very belittling to black Americans that to think that criminality would be a reason that black people would support you. Right? It's, it's, well, we're all criminals. Right. We're all criminals. Right. I will say this. It. To me. There should be an interrogation of the way. The political intelligentsia discusses black people. Period. Sure. Um. And that conversation has to be not amongst them. It has to be with us. Because a lot of times this gets said in other ways um, that are not as direct to black people. Like making criminal justice reform a black issue. Okay. 
that's not to say that we haven't been disproportionately affected by criminal justice reform, by, by excuse me, by, uh, by criminal justice and inequities in that. But to make it a black issue to me is always a little perplexing. Um, I think if we were going to talk about a black issue as it relates to the inequities that black people see in the criminal justice system, that would be about restorative justice, right? It would be about restorative justice. It would be about looking at the inequities and how they affected us and saying we are going to either enrich or invest into you in ways that are commiserate with what has been taken from you. And that's very direct and that affects black people very directly. Um, to say that we're going to change laws because a lot of you guys seem to find your, your, yourself in trouble with the police, it will have an effect on us. But oftentimes when I see that, it's it's it, it gives me the same type of feeling, honestly. The feeling is that what we what we never do with black Americans um is address their specific circumstances and the root causes of their specific circumstances we'd rather say when poverty makes you commit a crime then we'll enact laws that make sure you're treated fairly in the justice system which is fine right that's fine but what i've always wanted for people to do or for politicians to do, or for us to advocate for, is to look at the very specific existence and cultural reality of black people and think about the black life and the capitalization of that life before somebody endeavors into criminal activity or before they get to a point. Like, what makes the best life for somebody? What makes the best situation for someone? And that, honestly is what they sell to other people. What they sell to other people is these are the things that are taken away from your life. These are the things that are, aren't enriching your life. Now, they might run on huge scare tactics, anti-CRT, LGBTQ+, plus, uh, uh, immigration reform, all of those things, but they sell a vision of someone's present and future. And with us, they sell harm reduction. And when Trump is talking about this, he's really connecting to a narrative about black people that has, to me, been intellectually codified by politicians. Um, and the narrative is anything that they see that they identify with culturally, they will vote for. That's why, that, one last thing I'll say, that's why rather than talk about issues in in communities that lend themselves to systemic dysfunction that's why rather than fund things that keep people off the streets or establish uh, ownership equity and opportunity you'll just let Lil Wayne out of jail yeah or get or get or get Kodak out of jail or get somebody out of jail and then people will be like okay well if you 
get this rapper out of jail, that means you want black people to be free. No, if you wanted black people to be free, what you would do is look at the communities and identify problems inside of those communities that might lend themselves to be people making decisions that aren't in the best interest of their freedom. Okay, a couple of things. Um, interesting what you said. A couple of things. When you talk about prison, prison, ooh we, when you talk about criminal justice reform and you talk about um, the way the media talks about it, it's as if it's a black issue. It made me think. I wonder if it's as much as a black. They're making it seem like a black issue as it is that black people have been unjustly affected by the prison system. And so they are fighting for their own rights, whereas white people might not say that. So it's not as important as an issue to fight for them. So I wouldn't say it It, it made me think, I don't know if it's even look a black issue. It's just that black people have been impacted and uh, are wronged by this system way more. So it's become an important issue for us. Not saying that there aren't criminals of other races. It's just, do you understand what I'm saying? I do. It made me, think, it made me just think about that. I'm not disagreeing with you, mm -hmm. but I was like, that's interesting because I think we have to fight for it. It's not that it's our issue. It's just that we care more about it because we've been wronged by it in a way that the other side has not or other races, other people have not. Um, what you said about Trump and the way, it, it, I guess it goes back to what I was saying, how the way he talks about us, he talks about us like we're not human beings. He talks to us like we're simple. Like you said, if I do this one thing, they'll all come to me, which statistically that's not necessarily true. I know why we're talking, we talk about, you know, black men are disenchanted with you know, the Democrats, there seems to be that growing number and are voting more conservative or for Trump. It feels bigger because we have these people with public platforms that are that are idolized in the community who are saying, I'm voting for Trump. But statistically, those numbers don't show that. I was listening to something today where it was like more black people voted for John McCain than they voted for Trump in uh, 2016 and 2020. So you're not necessarily seeing that number, even if it feels like it's bigger on social media or because people with a platform are saying that. The problem is, and this is what I go back to, the people who are using their platform in the black community to speak on behalf of Trump or not outright call him out, the way he looks at, looks at us, the way black media talks, the man with the sneakers, the way he mugshots, you're simple. I do this one thing for you and you'll all flock to me as if we can't think outside of that, as if we're not better or bigger than that, as if we are monkeys in his social experiment. Mm. That's what it feels like. I get it. I guess what I'm saying is the conversation politically to me has to be between the political establishment and Black America yeah about what it is that we actually want. That's what I was going to say. Yes, to that point, you're so right that they should figure out the issue that's impacting the black community to why this is what's happening. But they have to care. They have to want better. You talked about a better life, a better, they want a better situation. They have to look at you and want you to rise up. 
I don't think that ever is going to exist because of the way that this country was built. Things can slowly progress, but they're never going to want you to be on their level. You can call it a social caste system. You can call it survival of the fittest. You can say because of how this whole country and these institutions were created with the mindset and the rules and the systems that exist, they have to want to look at you and say, how can I help? How can I get to the root of the problem and fix it so they can be better? I think whether it's subconsciously or in some cases outright, they don't want that. Hmm. So a couple of things on that. You're right. But how can I put this? They should. No, they shouldn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> they actually shouldn't. And I'll tell you why. Uh, as a black person, I don't want white people or white power to parent me. Of course. Right? So listen to what I'm about what I'm about to say. So like when you have parents, right? Mm -hmm. Parents want the best for you. Yeah. Like they want to see you do the best. You are an extension of them. They are uh, biologically and emotionally invested into your well-being. So they set you up. They say, go out and fucking do good. And I'm going to give you what you need to do good. And I'm going to fucking make you uh, into who I feel like you need to be. And I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to look out for you. Okay. Black people can't ask that from America. They can't. Like as citizens of America, you probably should be able to ask America for just protection under the law. But we can't. The only thing we can come to America with, there's only one thing we can come to America with. One thing. Power. That's it. If we don't get this, there are consequences. That's the only thing that works. Zero percent, nothing else. If we don't get this, if we, we're asking for something, if we don't get it, a couple of things happen. Number one, you don't get your power. We don't vote for you. Okay. Number two, you don't get our dollars. We don't do business with you. Mm -hmm. Number three, we use our cultural power to completely... Uh, excoriate you. You don't get to be cool, right? Or number four, we tear shit up. You don't get to be safe. The only thing that the white American power system will respond to when it comes to black America is a show of power, right? And to me, obviously there are other cultures that have this figured out, but they're, they're in different circumstances. What this what this demands from black people is for us to have an understanding of what consolidating power, not over the course of 40 million people, because mm -hmm. that's a lot of people to try to get on the same page, but in state and local governments everywhere with big tent it, uh, like, uh, like agreements that we could probably try to have across the black thought diaspora that exists here in America. Right. Um, you have to give that to them. But in order for that to happen, there has to be a conversation uh, between us and between the political power structure in America um, about what we expect from them and then f with us about what we expect from each other. That's why it's important to have conversations with people who might say, hey, $1,500, Trump gave me a stimulus check and that's why I'm fucking with him. 
It doesn't make a lot of sense. I know everybody wants to believe that they're smarter than everyone and they want to put everybody in a dumb nigger category, but it doesn't make any sense to straight up fuck over those people for weeks and weeks and months and months when they are looking at things in the simplest terms, but perhaps in terms that make sense to them. It makes more sense to try to have a conversation with those people about yeah. why that's not the best way to look at that, about why that maybe weakens them in the long run, about why letting a rapper out of jail or freeing some dude that you like or to have a conversation with Snoop or with Rock Nation, all right, with, uh, about why Desiree Perez being uh, having her record expunged or being per, uh, pardoned by President Trump or Michael Harris being pardoned by President Trump or whomever else being pardoned by President Trump is not a reason, isn't a reason to say that, hey, he's a great guy. Mm -hmm. To have a conversation about what it is that we expect. And that, we have to have intellectual tolerance within, with, within one another. If not, then what they do is the loudest cultural voice, they listen to it. And so if they hear like rappers and rap music, or if they see niggas and sneak, they don't see people, they, they don't see the work that people are doing well. If they see the loudest images. They see the easiest images to see about black culture. I'm not giving Trump a pass about this at all. But what I'm saying is even the whole Joe Biden, you ain't black thing. Joe Biden is not in a position to tell anybody what the qualifications for blackness are. So these conversations have to be had between us, but they have to be had with people in power and they have to be had powerfully. We have to show up and be like, hey, it's not, it's fucked up that you guys aren't doing for us. No, we have to say this is what would actually benefit us and this is what will happen if we don't get it. That's the only way. Every other way is asking for protection and parenting to me. Um, now, we have to talk about this, all right? One of the most direct forms of uh, political dissension I've ever seen uh, airman named Aaron Bushnell, 25 of San Antonio, set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington in protest of civilian deaths in Gaza. He died Sunday night of his injuries. Um, he, uh, he filmed the protests on Sunday and live streamed it on the social media platform Twitch. Uh, the Times couldn't confirm who was behind the account that posted the video, but the footage matched the details of the incident released by police. He says, I will no longer be complicit in genocide, a man says in the video, echoing language that, that opponents of Israel's military offensive in Gaza have used to describe the war, about to engage in an extreme act of protest. But compared to what people have been experiencing, experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. He stood in front of the gates of the Israeli embassy and set his phone down and doused himself in a clear liquid from a metal bottle, then lights himself on fire while yelling free Palestine until he falls to the ground. And he's an American. Yes. Wow. He's an American member of uh, the U.S. Air Force. Actively. Yes. Wow. I guess to me, I mean, it's not even that you could, that I can put it into words. The act alone says it all. One, that it's an American. Two, an active Air, a member of the Air Force, actively somebody who dedicated their life to fight for this country. 
I don't know if the word is desperate or so defeated, so there's no other way to get your attention to what's happening that I see it as somebody who's an American who signed up to fight for this country. I don't see anybody else doing anything so extreme or so, or to get the attention or to call out what I feel like is a genocide, to use his words, what I feel like is that is being done that is so detrimental to Palestinians. I'm going to do something so loud and so outrageous to try to get your attention of what needs to be done to get the message out there. The message isn't going to work anymore if I write it on social media or if I talk about it with a group of friends or if I use some type of media platform to speak to it. I have to do something outrageous Mm -hmm. to let you know that I believe this is wrong. And to do it, to be an American fighting for Palestinians and to do it in front of the Israeli embassy is wild. Hmm. Let me tell you what this represents to me. This is never going to be quiet again. This issue is never going to be quiet again. It's never going to be a quiet issue again, ever, 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 ever. It'll be loud somewhere. People move on with their lives. They get on to the next thing that's trending on social media. They, uh, there's always a new cataclysm to latch onto. I get that. I understand that. But there is a microscope on the region in a way um, that there never has been before. Um, I mean, look, this type of uh, conflict this intense a military operation, this intense of an example of collective punishment by the IDF, this many people dead, um, will never be forgotten by lots lots of people. And everyone knows here that I have a lot of dear Jewish friends who I talk with all the time. And the conversations are starting to become about uh, the pathway to peace. This man committed an act of war on himself to point out to the world uh, how dire the situation for the Palestinian people is right now. And honestly, has always been since they were expelled out of their homeland. Um years and years ago, 48. It's 48. Yeah. So the reality of the situation is there's really, there's really no way to not be concerned about this. It's not. You're correct. Um, If you're concerned with basic human rights, if you're concerned with the right of the rights of people to be, uh, self-determinative, if you're concerned with the rights of people to live in their homes, if you're concerned with how power affects the world geopolitically, there's no way to not care about this. I would say that there's a lot of other things we should be caring about as well. Lots of things happening all over the world that beg for our attention as well. But this is not going to go away. 
This is going to have to be dealt with. This is going to have to be talked about and litigated and legislated. There are going to have to be answers here. And the answers that are coming from Israel seem to be kill them all. Israel does not seem, in my opinion, to have a viable answer to what they deem the Palestinian problem. They do not seem to care. They seem to be about retribution, revenge, get back. Uh, With the way international law, in my opinion, uh, has been violated, and with the way human life is being treated in that region, I don't understand how the United States of America thinks that a country that has as much access to images, videos, conversations, um, and information is going to just forget about this. This is a high leverage situation. And people that demand justice and self-determination for Palestinians, both in Gaza Uh, And in the West Bank and really all over the world, we're talking about refugees from all over the world holding keys to homes that were taken from them. It's not going anywhere. It's not. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was... A kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, can I respond to something on Reddit? (laughs) If I told you no, would you listen? Probably. (laughs) I'll read the whole thing and I'm going to give a response. Okay. Thought you were off the Reddit, but okay. I will got back on it. Someone <laughs> you got to stop sending me stuff from Reddit. All right. So look, Reddit post. It is perplexing to me that Van would say, we're not going to tweet our way out of this. Remember when I said that, Rachel? I do remember. With respect to, as he puts it, the Jim Crow era of reproductive rights. It's perplexing because I think on the last episode and on many others recently, Van has gone out of his way to defend guys like Charlemagne the God for being wishy-washy on Biden. And Van himself has been wishy-washy and non-committal on his support for Biden. I agree we're not going to tweet our way out of it. We need to vote our way out of it. Interesting. 
I'm reminded of the lead up to the 2016 presidential election when Mark Lamont Hill went on the Breakfast Club and encouraged people to vote Green Party. For me, the same reasons these same folks read guys like Van and Charmaine and God are complaining about Biden now in 24. It was obvious then, and it's obvious now, that if you do not vote or encourage your people to not vote for the Democratic presidential candidate, you are directly contributing to the erosion of women's reproductive rights in this country. Trump was clear in 2016 when the SCOTUS seat was up for grabs, no less, that he would appoint justices to the Supreme Court who would overturn Roe versus Wade. Any thinking person in 2016 could clearly see the road that lay ahead for Roe if Trump was elected. But some people now, after Trump appointed three justices to the Supreme Court, act surprised by the consequences of their actions and their conduct is beyond me. It's worse that these people can't see that they're doing it all over again. You can't claim certain issues are your top priorities and then take actions that directly contribute to electing someone who is vehemently against your priorities. That is a A1 fantastic Reddit post. Okay, great. So it's going to be a positive response. It will be a response, a retort, okay. <laughs> based upon my reading of this. Okay. Do you think that's a positive Reddit post? No, I'm more so being like your response to that was like, wow, this is great. I, do, I didn't think it was bad. I saw it. You sent it. You said you want to respond to it. Go ahead. This comes from the Duchesne Hill. The Duchesne Hill. Duchesne Hill. Okay. All right. So when I look at that, I think, hey, very important to vote for pro-choice candidates. For you Vote for pro-choice candidates that means that you protect women's reproductive rights. This was my point. And I do need to do a better job of articulating in a deep and thorough way things that I think and the way things go. You agree with that, right? This is what I'm saying. You have to vote. Voting is a non-negotiable. You would, you would agree with that? Mm-hmm. Voting is not enough. I agree with that, too. Okay. This is why I said we're in the Jim Crow era of uh, reproductive rights and we need a Jim Crow response. In the Jim Crow era and the civil rights era, should I say, uh, of course you had to vote. But even as important as voting, maybe more important as vo- than voting, was to push the candidates that you voted for to act in ways uh, that reflected your condition. And that is what the civil rights movement was really about. Lawmaking and voting for people who are lawmakers was only one part of that effort. There had to be a groundswell of activity from people that kept the issue of the rights of black Americans prominently in the face of politicians, even politicians that they thought were friendly to their cause. When LBJ decided to pass sweeping, sweeping civil rights acts that address the realities of black American life, he didn't do it because he had finally had um, this epiphany about the value of black life. He did it because the disruption and the visibility of people like X, King, Medgar Evers, Fannie Lou Hamer, Stokely Carmichael, the organizing that these people did made that 
issue an issue that couldn't be ignored. The issue was right in front of them and it couldn't be ignored. And let me tell you why that's analogous to what I'm talking about with reproductive rights. The reality about reproductive rights and uh, um, Roe versus Wade is that we already voted for it. We already did. Right. Okay. We already we already voted for it. You should have been had it. There have been four Democrats elected since 1972 when Roe, when the decision on Roe was handed down, a decision that was seven to two. Right. Two things have changed, in my opinion, since then. One is that within the Democratic Party, the response to abortion has actually become a lot more pro-choice. Right? But the response of lawmakers has been a lot more passive. Whereas the response on the right has been a a lot more pro-life and the response of lawmakers has been a lot more aggressive. Hmm. Prior to Ronald Reagan and the religious rights takeover of the party, abortion was seen as an issue that wasn't really a litmus test of your conservative beliefs. When Jimmy Carter ran against Gerald Ford, you had two candidates there, the Democrat and the Republican that were anti-choice. Right. Ronald Reagan and the rise of the religious right made it so that was almost a non-negotiable in terms of power within the party. It became a litmus test of how conservative you were, uh, where you stood on abortion. The Democrats never matched that intensity ever on the issue, ever. In 1993, Uh, The Freedom of Choice Act was actually brought to President Clinton. He couldn't get it done. Mm. He could not get it done. And it wasn't that he couldn't get it done. It's the furthest it ever got. It wasn't that he couldn't get it done because he didn't want to get it done. He didn't have enough consensus within his own party to get it done. And that's always been a problem when you're talking about choice. Right. When you're talking about this particular action, which I mean, codifying Roe. Mm hmm. Like if you voted for Bill Clinton because you felt like Bill Clinton was good on this issue, Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton got into office and he couldn't deliver. Obama took it even further. I'm going to play for you two clips. I'm going to explain to you guys what I mean when I'm when I'm critical of 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 the political left. I'm going to play for you two clips. This is Obama on the campaign trail talking about codifying Roe. Bush Supreme Court's decisions really took away uh, critically important decisions from women and put them in the hands of politicians. And as a result of this, we're expecting and have already seen so much anti-choice legislation at the state level. Um, What would you do at the federal level, not only to ensure access to abortion, but to make sure that the uh, judicial nominees that you will inevitably be able to pick are true to the core tenets of Roe v. Wade? Well, the first thing I'd do as president is is sign the Freedom of Choice Act. Uh, That's the first thing. Okay, so this is Obama. That's Obama saying the first thing you would do as president to protect women from the Republican-led effort to weaken uh, abortion rights everywhere is to sign the Freedom of Choice Act. This is Obama 100 days into office. 
The Freedom of Choice Act is not my highest legislative priority. Um, I believe that uh, women should have the right to choose, uh, but uh, I think that uh, the most important thing we can do to tamp down some of the, um, the anger surrounding this issue uh, is to focus on those areas that we can agree on. Now, that's, that's President Obama after he had a supermajority, because we're talking about two different times that Democrats have had the majority to be able to do it. That's President Obama after he had a supermajority talking about whether or not he would make the move to codify Roe. Now, President Biden, when he got into office, when the Supreme Court uh, opinion first, or the Supreme Court uh, Dobbs decision leaked, would have had the opportunity to a lot of people to say when there were enough votes in the House to push this through, maybe he should have suspended the filibuster, as a lot of people would have said, uh, made an exception to the filibuster to get it done 5150. They still didn't have the votes, if you ask me, because I don't think Joe Manchin would have voted for it. So I don't think that Joe Manchin would have voted for it. So I don't think that the Democrats had it. Eric Schickler, who's a political science at the University of California, Berkeley, um, who's wrote a book about legislative, legislative politics in Congress, says there's just not enough support. He says, up until recently, in the, even the Democrats had a pretty decent-sized faction of members who were pro-life or at least not fully on board with the kind of pro-choice agenda. In order to get his signature health bill passed in 2010, Barack Obama had to appease one Democratic holdout by issuing an executive order ensuring federal subsidies for health insurance under the law wouldn't fund abortion. Under the fact that the law wouldn't fund abortion. Okay. What I'm saying is this. If you think that what you have to do in order to protect a right or guarantee a right is continuously vote for people who have shown that they don't have the political expertise or the political will to harden the rights that are important to you. What I'm telling you is that you're putting your life on the line with every single election. Sure. That means you're putting your life on the line with even the behavior, the behavior of your politicians. And let me tell you why. What if you have a president that's beloved that you know isn't going to appoint Supreme Court justices that uh, would um, uh, overturn Roe? All right, what if that guy gets caught into some scandal? Something that's completely un, uh, unbeatable in terms of an election. It's what those people are supposed to do. Now you have a weak candidate running for something. Now you have a candidate running for something who is going to lose. And rather than that person doing what you wanted them to do and taking steps to ensure your rights, you're having them hold down the fort. It's a passive way of looking at American politics to me. And that's my problem with the Democrats. My problem is that saying that Trump and the election of Trump in 2016 cost us Roe versus Wade is only half right. It's only half right. What really cost it, in my opinion, is the lack of the political will and cohesion on the left to do something that should have been done a long time ago. Mm. 
The reason why it wasn't done is A, and this is the whole, uh, by, by the way, while this is happening, the whole time that this is happening, the right is making this a 14 karat, 24 karat gold political issue for them. They're making it one of the things that they agree on more than anything. They're making it an absolute test of whether or not you're a Republican. And the Democrats are yada yada in it. Even just recently, Nancy Pelosi, there's a guy in Texas, I think his name was Cooler, and he was running against a young progressive um, politician down there who was supported by AOC, who was supported by Bernie. He was the only anti-choice member of the House. Pelosi and the rest of the people, the brass, they supported him. They supported him in his race against, against a pro-choice progressive candidate. That does not exist on the right. There are a couple of Republicans now, since the Dobbs decisions has eroded a lot of their um, political capital with people that are warming up to the idea of not being so draconian on abortion rights. But you're never going to see Mike Johnson, J.D. Vance, and any of those people go down and actively campaign for someone that they know is pro-choice because it takes a chunk out of who they are and signals to their base because they've prioritized that issue. So when I say we need a response to this that's reminiscent of Jim Crow, what I'm saying is the issue needs to become one of the issues that is so crystal clear in terms of whether or not you are a true Democrat that the power to galvanize behind it is unimpeachable. And it's easy to cast bad guys in this, but it's a lot of times more difficult to call out weakness and dysfunction and the lack of action from the people who are going to tell you again, again, that the best way to do this is to come out and vote for us. That the best way to do this, now Dobbs, now it's destroyed. Well, now, of course, you got to vote, right? Now you got to get out and you got to change demographics to get, you got to try to get 60 senators. You, By the way, that'll pro- that probably won't happen, right? You got, now you have to, but they're asking you to fix it when they could have already done it. So now what I'm saying is the issue has to be dealt with in the same way that the civil rights issue was done. There has to be disruption. There has to be conflict. There has to be uh, organization. There has to be all of that because they did not take it seriously the first time. They kept kicking the motherfucking thing down the goddamn street until it fell in a fucking ditch. They didn't think these people were fucking serious. They, they never think they're serious. And then when they get fucked, they, they ask you to clean up the mess. Newsflash, I'm voting for Joe Biden. Newsflash, you guys want to hear me say it? Newsflash, I'm voting for Joe Biden. I'm telling you guys that that's not enough now and it hasn't been enough in the past. I will agree with you. I agree with what you said. It's true. Voting is not enough because as we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, you have to be 
You have to hold the people you're voting for accountable. Those Obama clips that you just put out there are case in point why. And I think it's even more important as we get through 2024 and you start looking at who the new person is going to rise in the party when it comes to Democrats. And a lot of people are talking about Gavin Newsom and he sounds great right now and he's saying all the things. But you have to make sure that when he if he gets if he runs and he becomes uh, the president, you have to make sure that he's going to fight for the same things that are important to you or that you prioritize according to this, uh, this, um, Reddit post. Um, I would also only add when it comes to the civil rights movement, it comes to voting, a lot of people seem to be disenchanted with voting and frustrated because they don't see immediate change. Civil rights movement didn't happen overnight. It was strategic. It was, it took leaders. It took patience. It took, it was the long game, just like with the Republicans. And you talk about abortion. They played the long game when it came to overturning, overturning, overturning Roe v. Wade, and they were successful. You got to play the long game and it starts with voting. That's just a start. It starts with educating yourself on who's running. It starts on focusing on what's important to you. Then it's voting, but then you have to build on top of it. You have to hold people accountable. Can I tell you something? Civil rights was a long game, but it wasn't that long. If you talk about the Civil Rights Act comes in the mid-60s, it, it didn't, it wasn't, I mean, we're talking about if it begins with Brown versus Board of Education. As before like, then. I, I, I know, but what I'm talking about is the, the modern civil rights era as, I mean, civil rights goes back so far, but the modern civil rights era, if you're talking about as led by, not led by, as demonstrated by Dr. King and the rest of those movements, you're talking about an era that, talk about 10 years, maybe less. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, like what, I, what, I, what I'm saying is of the real movement, you're, the, the. Can't you say that that's when it became, because like, I mean, the, what the boycott was in 55. Yeah. Like that's a part of it. But that took organization and gathering people. And there were um, groups that were already coming together. Like there's more. I guess that's what I'm saying. People, when I say be patient, people said Biden said Biden said he's going to want to pass this. Biden said he's going to pass this. He's been in office for four years. It hasn't been done. I'm done. I'm not voting. Right. That's what we're seeing happening. And that's what all I'm saying is, is if you're saying that you know, look at the civil rights movement and we need to, to, to emulate what they did and have that same passion and dedication. With that comes patience. With that comes determination. I get what you're saying. So like, basically what I'm saying is, and you know, not, I'm looking at, you say whenever it, if it starts, you're talking about, talking 54 to 64, maybe 54 to 68, whatever, it, whatever it is, what I'm saying is the will of people and organizers and leaders and people like that made that such um, such a flashpoint issue. Now, you might not be able to do that in the same way. Obviously, there was a lot of things that were going on. America was going through as adolescents went different. But what I'm telling you is the reason why I think, first of all, one reason why that this has been kicked down to Kansas because it's a women's issue. That's number one. Of course. Um, and the whole reason why abortion has become an issue in the first place is I mean, you guys could look up the history of that and um, and why doctors in the early 1900s even made abortion an issue in the first place, like why that happened. Um, uh, but it it's something that 
they've been weak on. They have they've been weak on it. Like they've been weak on it. It should have been nothing for Trump to 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 even do. And then I go even further, the fact that uh you couldn't get RBG to step down. Right. Just well, the entire thing. There's it wasn't just on him, but yeah. Well, it was a party. It no, that's what I'm saying. It was on the party, but but like Yeah, I got you. We're talking about the only thing that people are comfortable talking about sometimes is got to make sure they're in power. Got to make sure they're in power. Got to make sure they're in power because it can be. You voted for this. You voted for presidents that talked about codifying Roe. You voted for presidents that had opportunities to codify Roe. They didn't do it. So I'm saying it. you probably need to not just impart upon the right the importance of the issue. You need to impart it upon the left. That's it. I'm done. Sorry. Um, uh, all right. What's going on here? Uh, you, you see the library guy? You like him? I cried. Michael Threats, Solano I, County librarian who went viral because he's so wholesome. I watched the video and I cried. I'm not even going to lie. Cried that he had mental health issues? I cried at why he had mental health issues and I cried why he had to shut down what brought him so much joy and he was trying to give that to other people. That's it. You're about to cry now. I'm about to cry now. <laughs> I'm about to cry now. <laughs> I'm like in a mood. Go ahead. I also just got an email, so I'm just like a little frazzled. I I must be about to start my period or something. It's about I don't to know. Come down. No, it just the I just was like here is this guy who's so happy and just and and his happiness isn't just in what he does. It's because of how he affiliates his upbringing with lab with libraries and librarians and what books did to him. And so he wants it ex- experienced so much happiness from it. All he wanted to do was give other people this happiness. That's it. And what do people do? Miserable people. If you're unhappy, you start trying to make other people unhappy and taking away their joy. And guess what? They were successful tearing this man down because of how he talked, how he looked, how he, you know, like starting and accusing him of things that weren't anything related to what he was doing. And some people are in such a dark, terrible place that they can't see past that. And so they want to bring everybody down to their level. And I guess like that's where I get emotional or just like what makes me upset. People are so miserable. And there's so many things going on in this world as we talk about this podcast. And everybody's going through their own thing. But here's a guy. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Here's a guy who is actually trying to do something beautiful. And you took it away from him. That's all. Gotta find my beauty blender. Beauty blender? Oh. (laughs) It just made me so sad. Yeah, Michael Three, Solano College Library. uh, uh, He's taking a step back so he can focus on his mental health. Donnie, play the video. Dear Solano County Library, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for raising me as a homeschool library kid. This is a place where I've always felt safe, where I've always felt like I belong, where I've always felt like I've had friends. You gave me my first job as a library worker. You made me a librarian. I went from library kid to being in charge of the library where I grew up in. It has been the honor of my life. I have made some of my closest friends in my 10 plus years as a Solano County library worker. I love my friends. I cherish them. They mean everything to my heart, to my soul. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
but my last day at Solano County Library will be March 1st. I am leaving to prioritize my mental health, to work with my mental health check-in team, but I'm hoping to make you so very proud. I'm hoping to fight for literacy. There's so much going on across the nation, across the world, that are impacting libraries, and I want to support them as much as I'm able to, worldwide, nationwide. Can a nigga love books? And people? Can... You know what? It's funny. I didn't cry, but I was very moved as well. <laughs> now, there were some people that were blaming different people for kicking off the hate campaign against Mr. Threats. And I saw on his Instagram that two things happened. Number one, he's braided up now. <laughs> So if you see the original video, his, his hair, hair is, is out, like he's just wearing it how he wants to wear it. He he he's like he braided he braided up now. Number one and number two, he one of the people that was being blamed for his um his online hate apologized, and he accepted their apology. Of course he did. Of course he did. I wouldn't. Have. What you wouldn't. Have? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how much would would hate have cost us in the past? What do you mean? Like this type of trolling. Like, let me tell oh, you. Oh, you mean like before social media? Let me tell you somebody who was very instrumental in my childhood, Lavar Burton, the man who took away your NAACP. He didn't take what? away the NAACP. I I was happy to lose to Lavar Burton because. LeVar Burton used to put me on books. Hey, read a book. Butterfly in the Sky. Would we have had LeVar Burton? Would we have had Mr. Rogers? Would we have had the people from, from Sesame Street? What other completely wholesome, harmless things would the internet have deprived us of because you guys want to believe that everybody as fucked up as you? Look, I don't know this dude. But I am choosing to believe from his energy and his enthusiasm that he loves books and sharing books with people. Why is that so hard? Because people are miserable and they want everybody to feel like them. Some may say that's how why Reddit exists. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Some may, I mean, there are people who thrive off of creating a community of just judging and tearing people apart. They think it makes them cool. They, they, they get likes. They get people retweeting them. They have interactions with people that maybe they wouldn't normally have because they don't have that in real life. Mm. And so they thrive off of it to the detriment of somebody's well-being and Thank God that didn't happen with Michael here, but life. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just was in good news. PBS hired him to become their resident librarian on a new social media series. Michael has leveled up on you stupid motherfuckers. And I hope anybody else who's going through what he's going through levels up in the same way. Michael has leveled up. On you stupid motherfuckers. Y'all tried to take him and dim his <laughs> light. Michael got braided up. He got with PBS kids. Michael about to shout out to Michael. Shout out to the Solano County libraries. Shout out to libraries everywhere. I used to use the library every day when I was at TMZ. 
You used to go to the public library? There's a library in in um in Playa Vista. I will go Why there. Why you go all the way out there? Well, TMZ was like very close to Playa Vista. Oh. It's very close to Playa Vista. <laughs> okay. But you know why I would use that library? Why? To use the bathroom. TMZ's bathroom was fucking disgusting. When I tell you fucking disgusting, like disgusting, it's a disgusting place, I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't use it. I would have to strategically find other bathrooms that were usable. I'm assuming you did more though in the library than just use the bathroom. No, I never got a book. <laughs> but like what I'm what I'm what I'm saying is that you know, I found like they had a bathroom, like there was a gym space at at the place where we were and those bathrooms were kept pretty nice. There was other bathrooms around the thing that were kept pretty nice, but I was walking, I had to just, you know, real bad one time, real bad. And I stopped in the library and I used the bathroom, immaculate bathroom in the Playa Vista library. I, I, I could give you guys in L.A. a list of the top 10 public bathrooms to use. Easy. Easy. The Grove. Crazy. Crazy public bathroom. The Grove is a dual threat. Honestly, uh, Century City Mall has a good one too. Fantastic. It has a good one too. Like, uh, and there's a if if you're in Beverly Hills and you want a good bathroom, go on Rodeo. I told you this before. No, I just know. Go on Rodeo and then there's a little shopping place to the side downstairs. Boom. Bathroom. It's public bathroom. Immaculate. Literally the bathroom when you go in there, every like 15 seconds, it's like yeah. <laughs> comes out but I remember I would go in the bathroom to use the bathroom because I would take these long walks and I'd have to really use the bathroom but then just the energy of the library the energy of the libraries have a certain energy a smell the smell of books the smell I of wonder I love the smell of books the smell of books I love so I can never read off of like a Kindle yeah. I love the smell of books Michael, I'm fucking with you, bro. Hard. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. Michael, you might be, you might, you might have something going over here, Michael. No, but <laughs> you might have something going over here. No, she don't get Michael's. Look, look at me, Michael. I'm crying. You don't want me right now. You don't want me right now. Before we go, what's your what's your favorite library book as a kid? Oh my gosh. As a kid? I don't know, but that's not my memory that stands out the most about the library. I used to spend a lot of summers in the library. Like, my mom would take us there all the time. Oak Cliff Library, right up there off Keast, between Hampton. Take the Hampton part out. Right over there on Keast, because I don't want people to know how close. I don't know people know where my family lives. Anyways, um, right off there off Keast, used to go. All the time. Now they have a new library. It's really nice over there. Um, there was a video that we used to watch that used to retell old, like, fables or stories. 
And there was one with the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. And we used to watch that till we broke the tape. Mm. I used to love that. They also used to have story time. where People would read to you stories at the library yep. during the summer. Mm-hmm. I loved, loved, loved that. Um, maybe that, and maybe, so maybe this was nostalgic for me that I was like, I get his joy about growing up in a library because so much of my summers were in libraries. Loved the library when I was a kid. Love what Michael's doing. I was a little fat motherfucker. So I could go there and get books. And then I could use those books to get a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hood in the Book It program. Well, was it Accelerated Reader? No, it was the Book It program. Oh, we had Accelerated Reader. So you go and get the Book, book it. it program. You go in there. You have them a little thing. Uh, personal pan pizza. Boom, back. Boom. You eat that hoe. Like, it was fantastic. And the little seals of the Newberry Award winning books. It's amazing. Oh, the little the seals. You knew which books. Silver the, or gold. I, I can't remember. It was gold but I know what you're talking about. For, one was for how good the book was. And then the other one was for pictures. I can't remember the one that was for pictures. But the Newberry Award. Yeah, there's an like, illustrator. Newberry Award, Award yeah. books. Fantastic. British to Terabithia, where the wild things are. There's all kinds. You fucking read, man. Can a nigga read? God damn. Michael, I'm fucking with you, bro. See, it would be funny if if Michael just went on a tear. Michael, no, don't lose your life. Don't corrupt. Don't Michael. lose your life. But it'd be funny if Michael just went on a tear. Because I heel like turn. it. What did you say? A heel turn. A heel turn for Michael. Good job, Donnie. A heel turn. If Michael would just been like, if Michael just read all the, get off my dick, bitch. I'm with PBS, bitch. PBS, bitch. It's Michael Threets, ho. Well, bitch, I got the fucking straight backs. My shit is crazy, nigga. I'm from Solano County, Northern California, nigga. This is the Bay, nigga. The fuck there's on these dumbass bitches. Fuck you, bitch. I got that motherfucking. If Michael, he would not be on PBS. But see, but maybe eighty five South. But see, yeah, but see, if (laughs) Michael, if he changed, if he changed, y'all wouldn't respect it, right? What if Michael went, you know what? Because Michael from Northern California, it was at Solano County. Donnie, look that up. That's Northern California, right? It is. I looked it up. What if that nigga got in the game? Is that what y'all want? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? What if, what TSP? If, like, yeah, TSP. What if that nigga, what if that nigga Michael Threes joined TSP? What if he got in the game? Y'all don't want him to have fun with books and be and be an inspiration to kids. So what if that nigga got in the game? What if that nigga came back to this nigga, this sweet Mikey, bitch? I got hoes walking the stroll for me, bitch. I'm selling dope. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, what if, what, what if, what if, what if he changed? That's what y'all want? I wouldn't be crying over it. I'm that's what y'all that. want from Michael? Y'all want, y'all, y'all don't want him to be that. What y'all, what y'all, y'all don't want him to be that. This is what they want. Yeah, y'all, 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 y'all love future. What if that nigga became future? You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all, that's what, y'all don't want the nigga to have fun with books. And that's why Drake wrote Three Years. That's, that's why, why Drake, Drake wrote Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Can a nigga read books? Take thing caps off, but do not stop blurring. I'm Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Crying ass. <laughs>